Visual hierarchy is just arranging things in a way to put focus on the things that you want them to do. A lot of do-it-yourselfers have too many things going on. You know, for somebody listening now, just look at your website and just think about what you can take away to put more focus on the important things. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terrence Toe. So welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terrence Toe. I'm the Managing Director and Creator of Strategic Corporation. And this is Nadia. Nadia. Nadia Hughes from Smart Business Solutions, and I'm co-host of our Unfair Advantage project. Yes, fantastic. And today we're interviewing a really good friend of mine, Greg Merrilees from Studio One Design. How are you, Greg? Good, mate. How are you? And Nice to meet you, Nadia. Thank you very much, Greg. <laughs> I love that accent, by the way. It's very <laughs> sexy. <laughs> we had a great conversation about who we were talking to today, and I said we were talking to Greg, and Nadia said, so we're talking to Greg. Yes. Yes. And basically, that's your name. <laughs> I love it. For next uh, hour, you will be called Greg. Greg. Cool. All right. So, yeah, Greg, tell us a little bit how about who is Greg Merrilees and tell us a little bit about Studio One. Yeah, sure. Well, Studio One, we essentially design websites for, you know, for influencers and, and market leaders and things like that to get them a better result. But the way I sort of started in this, I've had my design business since the year 2000. And back then we designed t-shirts and did that for probably around 10, 12 years before our wholesale clients who were selling t-shirts to the retailers like my, you know, Cotton On and, you know, David Jones and Kmart and all those sort of places, those retailers started going vertical. So they squashed out the the middleman, you know, the, the wholesaling clients. And of course, they were all our clients. So they were dropping like flies. And so then really, I had at that point, I had an office, I had six full-time designers and, you know, all these overheads. And it's like, well, my business is going to go down. So I needed to pivot big time. So that's when I turned to podcasts. A podcast actually saved my life, <laughs> my business at least. And so what happened was, I listened to this podcast, Think Out Get, which was James Franco and, and Ezra Firestone, and they said on their podcast that they needed a, a new logo. And I thought, okay, I'm going to design them a logo and just send it to them. And in fact, I think they just said their logo sucked. I saw that as an opportunity, right? So I designed them a logo and they ended up loving it. And then they started, you know, getting me to design their websites and things like that. And then I hired James Franco as my business coach. He's still my business coach today. You know, this is about five years later, really. But yeah, what I did then was with the logo design that I designed for them, I put it onto t-shirts and then I did... James Franco said, why don't you do the same thing for other podcasters? And so I did that. I sent them free t-shirt logos and then everybody started, you know, recognizing that we could do these really cool logos. And so then it started attracting more people that had podcasts. And then we started designing websites for their communities as well. And it just sort of snowballed from there. And when you design a logo, What's your starting process? Where do you come with ideas from? I guess it's a very trivial question, but for me, a person who never designed a logo, I want to know how it all starts in your head. Yeah, well, look, you know what? Because I've got that T-shirt design background, the first thing I want to know is 
does this logo or will this logo look good on a t-shirt? You know, is it cool enough to wear on a t-shirt as a standalone thing? But then also you want to think about a logo from the point of view that it needs to represent your brand, your brand values, and it really needs to talk to your target customer. So what we would do is start with a 20 or 30 questionnaire to really dive deep into the business that we're designing or the brand, depends, it might not necessarily be a business all the time, it could just be a brand within a business, to really dive deep to understand more about that brand and, you know, the core principles and those sort of things. So yeah, from there, we would then go away and research, right? So for instance, if we understand your target market, you know, let's say women and they're age 40 and, you know, they're based in this location, we'll sort of research where they hang out and we'll try and figure out what they're into as far as it might be, you know, the music choice or, you know, just things that they like, food, whatever. And then we're going to understand more about that target market. So then what we're going to do is design something that is going to suit that target market. And so then from there, we'll, you know, send some logo concepts to the client and then get their feedback and we make unlimited design revisions on everything we do so we just keep you know giving new versions or tweaking it until it's approved sometimes we hit it right out of the park from the start because we've done all that research and like you mentioned 40 year old woman she hangs out main street mornington likes coffee and everything what's your starting point would be for her her values are obviously children and her husband is in a business and she's helping him out what questions to her to design her logo because I'm talking about businesses who are electricians. Also, we have plumbers. We have this type of trades businesses as well in our client base. Like what are the logo, yeah. like what are the questions that we I, would ask them? Yes, I just would like to yeah. know because there, there are plenty of electricians out there. There are plenty of plumbers out there. I'm picking most generic businesses you can potentially pick, but they, would you believe or not, majority of client base could be for some accountants or business coaches. So how would you design logo for them to differentiate them from each other? Yeah, so that's the whole thing. Like we would look at their competitors as well, right? So we would work out what their competitors are doing, what the look and feel is for their logo. But generally what we're trying to accomplish is a look that is different to their competitors and is unique to your business. So that's why the research phase is so important because we don't want them to look like everybody else. And so to answer your question, it's pretty hard to give a you know a solid answer of how we would design each logo for each individual business because there's so many variables in their answers so it's only after they've answered every question that we would be able to give them some concepts you know what i mean so each business is so unique that we don't just have a blanket you know template for each business style okay well I understand I ask a very challenging question for you and you couldn't produce simultaneously on spot a logo for me. That's a bit of downfall of the podcast. But anyway, Terence, do you have any other questions about logo? So, we're going to talk about really, you know, some ways that we can really get people's websites rocking today. We want to give some great information to listeners out there on, you know, some simple steps that they can go through yep. to really get, get their website seen, maybe make it a little bit unique as we've been talking about with the logo and all that type of thing. So, Greg, what's the first kind of step to, you know, you get someone come to you who needs a website design, whether they've already got an existing website or not, you know, where do they start? Yeah, well, for a start, I just want to say that with the logo thing, like it's really, 
It's a small part. Like it's not the first thing that I would get done if I was starting a new website for a new business, right? So really the logo is a minor thing. It's something that you can develop, you know, over time once you start making money. But from my point of view, it depends on the business style, right? Like if you're a startup business, then I would say just go get a template website, you know, until you're actually making money and you have an offer that converts. Don't spend a fortune on your website. So we only design, you know, custom websites and they're not for startup. It's for an established business. So, but if you are an established business and you're looking for a, a website, then the first thing I would do is look at their folios and make sure that their folios resonate with you. But then take it a, you know, a level deeper and try and work out if their folio has, you know, conversion elements. And by that, I mean, you know, things like a marketing funnel and, and a lead magnet and all these things that are going to help start a conversation with a, you know, with a prospect essentially. And then really, you know, a website design is something that's never finished. It's always evolving. And so you just want to put something up in the first place. You know what I mean? I wouldn't worry about it being perfect. I'd be more worried about attracting people to your website by releasing quality content in the form of blog posts, podcasts, videos, etc. And then you want to just start a conversation. So you want to at least capture or try to capture an email address in return for providing value. And when you're saying quality content, what would you consider quality in a modern yeah. sense? What's going on now? Because whoever started their own website, uh, you probably yeah. cringe from the mistakes you're seeing out there if you have to check or do health check of website. So let's define quality and then jump into the most common mistakes you see, if I may ask this question. Yeah. So look... If you're talking blog posts or even like podcasts like, like we're doing right now, okay, so there's obviously a lot of what the goal is to provide value to your audience, right? So don't just put up like a, you know, a 300 word blog post or a really short podcast, pick one topic and, you know, become the expert on that topic. And you probably are an expert, but what you want to do is research that topic, even if you're an expert, to see what's already been done online and don't be like what's already done online. Try and be original. And you want to, when I say quality, I mean, try and have at least a thousand words in the article because, and you know, these days Google's looking for quality content and they'll rank your website if you've got big, chunky, tall, you know, blog posts that have things like quality designs within it, like images and even video and audio and all the different mediums that you can put in there, the better quality that Google's going to see it as. And same with your your viewer as well, you know, like they're going to be able to engage with it for longer if it's got a lot of information and different ways to consume that information. I like the fact that you said engagement and, you know, and one of the things you said was start a conversation with your audience. And I think that's very relevant. Yeah. You know, I, I think you see some examples of marketing, which is just pushing a sale onto someone. And that, yeah. what you said there, start a conversation, you know, and actually see where that goes, provide value along the way. And then someone might actually make a purchase as a result of all that value you've already provided. And, you know, understanding that maybe getting a really much better understanding of your business. That's right, yeah. It almost tells me that when people hop on somebody's website, you have to respect their time and give them as much as quality content as possible in this spare time because you can lose them forever and they never ever will come back. So I think it's your one chance of making an impression. Yeah, 
That's right. And one of the mistakes that I see people make is they don't lead with value first. They try to sell on hello, you know, want you to buy their stuff. I mean, obviously, if you've got an e-commerce store, that's a, a slightly different story because people are there you know, to buy products, right? And depending on the, I guess, the age of your business and the authority of your business, then, you know, you can sell on hello. But the majority of the time for small businesses that are trying to make their mark, then you don't want to sell on hello. You want to lead with value first. And that's why we say, you know, to have a, a lead magnet and, and a bit of a marketing funnel to help warm people up over time, especially for services businesses. Yeah, cool. So tell us, you know, maybe a little bit more in depth what that involves. So when you're looking at creating a good lead magnet for your website, good marketing funnel, you know, from your point of view of particularly the design point of view, which is where you're coming from, I guess. And and actually, one of the other areas that I'll probably note that I at least think you're very strong on is designing websites that actually convert. And we've had some conversations in the past around instead of just designing a website that looks nice, actually design a website that helps people to know what to do next, that helps them to go through the next steps. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so that comes down to the visual hierarchy of the design. So just to sort of break down a homepage, the way we like to design a homepage is to take Nadian's point before that, you know, people have a very short attention span and you need to sort of, you know, get their attention within five seconds. Normally, if you've got a cold prospect that's come to your website, you've got five seconds to capture their attention and all they care about is them, right? They don't really care about you or your business at this point. They only care about what's in it for them. So, and what you want to do with the, the section on your homepage above the fold is try and capture them emotionally like have some form of a hook and this is where copywriting is so important because you know a mistake that I see website owners is they'll write the copy themselves and it's all about them and you know blah 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 boring boring welcome to my website that sort of thing and you don't want to do that you want to leave with value first and you want to have a headline that hooks them emotionally and then shows some benefits to them, right? What, you know, for what they will get out of interacting or engaging with your business. But then you just want to start with a, some form of a lead magnet, which would be, and we're still talking above the fold, right? So when you first land on a homepage, we're talking the section that you see without having to scroll. And so on there, yeah, you would have the headline, some benefits, a lead magnet, could be a PDF, a free trial, could be, you know, a quiz or a, a challenge or, you know, join our VIP club and get benefits. There's a, another thing that I've seen lately, which are gamified lead magnets. There's a tool called Wheelio, which you can spin the wheel and then you'll land on one of many lead magnets. So it's good for businesses that have multiple lead magnets, which is pretty cool. And then, yeah, really, this is still all above the fold. You want to have a little bit of social proof, which in other words, some testimonials, you know, as seen as, as heard on, something that's going to show your authority. And then I also recommend having a video above the fold. And that's a lot to fit in there. So normally we wouldn't have the actual video there, but we would have a play icon. And then when pressed, there'd be a pop-up to show that video. And in that video, Video, just touch on that briefly. Videos are super important for building trust, especially if you have a face-to-camera video. And But you want to talk about what we call the spin selling formula, which is based on a book by Neil Rackman called 
you guess, to spin <laughs> selling. <laughs> and <laughs> what it is really, it's just, it's an acronym and it shows people that you really understand their situation. So that's the S and then P is the problem. So, you know, you understand their problem and then I is the implication if they don't do anything about, you know, problem, what their situation would look like. And then N is the need or the payoff, which is your solution to the problem. And it's also good if you can sort of throw in your story and sort of explain why you created the solution for them and then give them a call to action at the end. And it's usually just to, you know, take the first step in the funnel, whether it's the, you know, the ebook, the lead magnet webinar, that sort of thing. Mm. I was introduced to spin selling by James Schramko as well. So I'm assuming that's where you yep. introduced you to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, he uses it for pretty much everything that he does in his marketing from podcasts to you know, webinars to stage presentations. It's a really yeah. good framework. So the first word is solution. Solution. Oh, situation. Sorry, situation. Situation. So what? Understand their current situation. Yeah. What problems they have? What the problem? Your solution will have. Yeah. And address yeah. their need. Yeah, and the implication if they don't take action, you know, because you can sort of let them know that their situation might change. <laughs> it's just reinforcing that fact. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that's the worst outcome, right? If Nothing changes. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Because some negative event changes can lead to some positive outcome. Well, but exactly, any form of stagnation is death to business. Well, especially if you're not currently getting a lot of good leads or you're not currently getting good conversions, the worst thing that you can do is leave it the same. That's right. Yeah, exactly. And so these are the type of things. If you're looking for a new website, that you need to look for in a design folio. You know, I mean. Really, because, you know, obviously the, the website's the first place where people go to check you out if they have, you know, heard of your business. But then, you know, there's actually 1.3 billion websites online today, and that's actually doubled since 2014. So you can guarantee whatever niche you're in, there's going to be a lot of competitors in there. So, yeah, you want to make sure that your website's not just an online brochure. It's actually designed with conversions in mind. And out of this vast amount of website, how many of them do it your style? I wouldn't have a clue. That, that <laughs> would be interesting <laughs> statistics for you. Possibly, yeah. I'd say yeah. a lot. Yeah. I just wonder if you... And when you're looking with your professional eye, any website, would you be able to tell they, whether they've done it themselves or somebody? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and that's, you know, one of the services that I'll offer is to review a website. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I'll do when I'm reviewing a website, but one of them is just to check out this tool called builtwith.com. And you can have a look at the back end of the website and see all the plugins and what framework it's on and things like that. So for a start, if you see that it's on, you know, Squarespace or one of those type of things, they've done it themselves. (laughs) Good point. (laughs) So, all right, there's really a lot in there. And I guess we're dealing with just pretty much when people get to your website, this is, you know, these are all of the things that they should be seeing or or that you might want them to see or you might want to include at least, right? What happens from there? So you've got, you know, some sort of lead magnet, some sort of offer happening, you know, maybe something to engage and start a conversation. Where do we go from that point? Yeah, great question. So, you know, what I like to do is design a website that has something for cold leads, something for warm leads and something for hot leads, right? So we've talked about the cold leads, which would be just the free 
PDF or you know whatever I said before, free trial, etc. But then you want to have something for warm leads. So these, and, and by the way, your content, like your blog post or podcast, whatever, is for cold leads to warm them up, right? And there's no better way to warm up a cold audience than having a, a podcast, for instance, because they get to know you. So it's a really good tool. But then you want to take it to the next step or step. And like, if somebody opts in, take them to a thank you page that has your next offer. Okay. So what we do and a lot of our clients do, and you know, we design some websites for some pretty high level marketers and we've designed about 1500 websites over the last four years. So we get a good idea of what's going on because we see so many, you know, amazing funnels from high level marketers that are making millions, right? So you want to have something like a, a webinar or it might be, you know, you don't need a huge funnel sometimes, especially in a service business, you can just offer a free, you know, consultation chat or something like that, right? But then a lot of designers, they don't understand how important that thank you page is. And to me, that's absolute gold real estate. Your prospect has already given you their email address. So they're in the habit of saying yes. And a lot of designers will just have a little note saying, hey, thanks for downloading the PDF, check your email and that's it. But I'm going to say, have a video on that thank you page, a face to camera video, and then just thank them and let them know what they can expect from, you know, whatever they opted in for, and then offer them the next step in your funnel. And if it's a webinar, briefly explain what the webinar is about and give them a call to action at the end, and which might be the button next to the video or below, and just tell them what to do. Click that video and look forward to helping you soon or something like that, right? But yeah, that thank you page will take them to the warm sort of lead magnet that's what i call it yeah anyway. okay so you've kind of you've taken yeah. someone who knows absolutely nothing about you potentially which is the cold yep. lead you know now they're starting to get to know your business what you do what you're about and now as you say if they if they opt in to receive more information it's probably the perfect time as you say to to give them some type of an offer it is, but don't expect them to take it up straight away. Like that's another mistake. Some people just leave it there and they don't email them. You know, they'll send one email, but it's really beneficial to respect that, you know, they might have other things going on in their personal life. They may not have time to do this. So you want to back up your, you know, send them the first lead magnet, the, the cold lead magnet, but then what I do, I have like a 20 email sequence now to warm up those cold leads because we sell, you know, high ticket items essentially. So it depends on your price point, but you might only need five, you know, a sequence of five emails. But yeah, just in that email sequence, the goal is to keep providing value with, you know, with the, the end goal to build trust to get them to think of you, like you'd be top of mind if they're ready to purchase your product or service. So yeah, don't forget to email them because they might not be ready to take that action on the thank you page. With 20 email sequence, the audience feel a little bit spammed. We just had a campaign and we've all we've done is send them about five reminders and we had a couple of people whining about it. So I'm just horrified looking at 20 email sequence. Yeah, and that's a good point. But, you know, Terence and I just came back from trafficking and conversions. And one of the big difference between Australia and the US is that they expect you to send them a lot of emails in the US. We don't expect that in Australia. But you know what? If people are going to get annoyed and unsubscribe, that's fine. That's what you want. They're not your target customer. They're not ever going to be a buyer, right? But I'm not saying send 20 emails in 20 days. I'm saying 20 emails you know, over a long period of time. And for me, it's 20 weeks. So we send one a week. Uh, that's just our nurture campaign. But then if we're creating new content, then I'll also send them, you know, a link to that 
when that happens as well. And at what point you would be considered an aggressive marketer versus a mild soft marketer? <laughs> I would say when email servers put your emails in junk email. <laughs> That's when you know. <laughs> That's you can pretty much guarantee lately. that. Yeah. Exactly. It has happened to you. Yeah, yeah, it happens to me, yeah. What, what have you done? How many did you sell? Uh, no, we, we, I don't, look, honestly, I send about one or two a week max, right? But, you know, yeah, some email servers see that as a marketer. And, yeah, even though I'm providing value. Did you get the notifications that you become a spam email officially? No, I just get emails or calls from my client or whatever saying, you know, you haven't sent me this email yet. And the, the reason is because, you know, some of my marketing emails will go into spam and therefore those email you know, service providers will see my email address as spam and therefore they'll block some of my emails going to my actual clients, which is super annoying. Okay. What are tips to avoid? <laughs> Avoid being marked as a spam email. What is it there? Would I'm not make... an email expert. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. But we'll get an email expert on, That's guarantee. Not... Now yeah. making me want to get one. <laughs> you did brush quite a bit on cold leads podcast. You said could be ideal. It's basically an introduction. Curiosity there. This is where I would consider cold lead. Warm lead when they are curious yep. enough to want more. And what would be on warm one? What initiatives would you suggest to take? Yeah, I would say anything that's going to give them some time with you. That could be a video series, right? It could be a free video, like a webinar, or it could be a 15-minute consultation and then, you know, have a, a face to camera like as in you know zoom or skype type of meeting with them unless you want to have in-person meeting that type of thing or you might also invite them to a live event you know they can be super powerful there's nothing more powerful than meeting somebody one-to-one to try and build that relationship and trust mm -hmm. and then you talked about hot leads which you did tell again it's web and free consultation chat but it has to come your best offer so how my warm leads tools will change from warm to become hot with a hot audience what would i be doing yeah so you offer your paid products okay so this is paid products yeah yeah product services you know at that point so you want to have all these things on your website and obviously you want to have a funnel as well to take people from cold to warm to hot but you don't want to take people through a funnel if they're ready to buy if they're hot to try right so you want to actually have your products and services on your website ready for them to purchase but don't expect them to purchase from a cold lead. It just doesn't happen very often. And is it a good idea to be very specific on what you offer to the market services, packages, and the price? Or do you have to somewhat indicate it? What's the best methodology to put this type of offers out there? Do you have to be very specific? Yeah, it depends on the business. You do need a landing page that has a certain structure to it for your particular product or service, right? So... And it does vary from business to business to the structure needed. But for instance, even if you're selling physical products, you know, a lot, like I was saying before, a lot of e-commerce businesses sell on Hello and they get amazed that they don't get amazing results. And so, for instance, to give you an example, there's a product called Organifi that 
you know, it's three years ago, they used to sell about $300,000 worth of product a month. And then we redesigned their blog website, right? Their blog website, they just have this thing called Mindset Mondays and something else they do on Fridays. And they release two bits of blog content per week, right? It's a totally different website, but this website is designed to build a community of people through their amazing content. And then they just have one little link to their Organifi shop and that's boosted their sales to you know over two million dollars a month so it's all to do with leading with value first and so if you're just selling services you know there's different structures that you would need but on those pages you would need to use what we call psychological drivers and these things are things like social proof showing your authority you know consistency reciprocity even scarcity as well, you know, urgency if you have a limited time offer. But don't use fake scarcity. Don't use a countdown timer and, and get them to take action for them to find out later that it was fake and it resets the mm-hmm. next day. And this is what brings very home to me because I do see these fake urgencies and which just basically yeah. people put limited offer which goes on forever. And controversy yeah. around this is actually astounds me. Well, but people still keep doing it. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? But yeah, that's, you know, you're going to lose trust. If you do that and you get caught, it's going to be really hard to win that trust back. So just don't do it. Trust. And another thing, while I was listening to you, it appears to me that you're creating somewhat uh, with, from an introduction, a complete stranger, you almost want him to be part of your camp and you're creating some community around this because you're blogging with them then, then you do all sorts of things. So you from treating a stranger as you're welcoming him into your website, then you have to start through the series of action. You have to convert to him into your best friend or your like single-minded community member. Yeah, 100%. And really, it's just like the offline world. You know, when you meet people, you just want to take it easy to start and you don't want to ask them to marry you right on the first date. You know, you want to take it easy. You want to just get to know them. That's what it's all about. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. There is a male bridal service. It's quite good. It works well. Don't discount this one. (laughs) I think we just just got a new topic for the podcast, Greg. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but it's really like, you know, Terrence picked up on before. <laughs> I like it. it and they just say yes for just like because of they just so overwhelmed. Yeah. Well, well, people, you know, they don't want to be sold to. They want to purchase when they're ready to purchase. You know what I mean? So it, to me, it's all about just building trust. And obviously, you want to leave with value first. But, you know, I touched on these psychological drivers as well. And these things are super important to get people to want to engage with you. And one of the biggest things is showing your authority, right? And no matter what niche you're in, there's a lot of things you can do on your website to show your authority. And, you know, even if you're a trader, like just having a photo of yourself and you know you might be on the tools you might have your fleet of vehicles behind you it's going to make you look like an authority and you know if you're a a doctor or an author or a speaker you you definitely want to let people know those things as well on the uh, above the fold section and then as well as authority you know the social proof is it kind of goes hand in hand so let's say you've got a million followers on you know youtube and you've got a hundred thousand on facebook or whatever the case is you want to show people that 
you know, you want to show them in the form of numbers that you've got all these different followers. And once again, these things don't need to stand out on the bit above the fold, but it would just be a little monochrome kind of section so that people can see it, but it doesn't compete with the main call to action. That's where visual hierarchy is important. So let's talk about visual hierarchy a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Well, so basically what you want to do is there was a trend a couple of years ago where people were using what's called a ghost button, for instance, right? And a ghost button is a button that has no fill and just has a key line around it. And then when you hover, it might turn to a solid yep. fill, right? But that was a trend and it looks cool, looked cool at the time and I was using it as well. It just didn't convert as well. And the reason was because it didn't stand out. It wasn't contrast enough. So when we're talking about visual hierarchy, what you want to do is have enough clear space and contrast around that call to action button to make sure that that's the thing that stands out the most, right? Now, obviously, people want to know what's in it for them. So your copyright writing needs to hook them in, show them how they'll benefit, and then give them a call to action. And if possible, apart from the homepage, only have one call to action on each page. Just give them one thing to do. A homepage is really a gateway to get to, you know, all of the important pages on your site. And we can talk more about that structure if you want. But visual hierarchy is just arranging things in a way to put focus on the things that you want them to do. A lot of sort of do-it-yourselfers have too many things going on. So it's really, you know, for somebody listening now, just look at your website and just think about what you can take away to put more focus on the important things. I called it clatterama. You walk into some... <laughs> <laughs> web page and you just don't know where to go it's just so many bells whistles yeah. and you just it's so busy that you get overstimulated in a five seconds and you just want to shut it down that's all you don't you don't want to stay there yes. and vice versa when you come yes. to a very clear page which just takes you explains you something gives you one value it's this very easy to navigate and keep it simple i think it comes back in vogue Simplicity is absolute key. I mean, you know, you still need to show your authority. You can't be as simple as, you know, like say Apple, for instance, they just have beautiful photos and that's all they need, right? They've already got the authority. But if you're a small business, you do need to show your authority and have social proof to let people know, like the social proof is so important to let people know that other people think you're awesome without saying it yourself. But Apple don't have to have any social proof on their website, right? I love what you're saying there. And that focus. It's funny because I guess when I work with business owners, one of the biggest challenges I see for them is that focus. It just appears that there's so much going on constantly. It's almost mm. natural for us as humans, I guess, to want to be involved in all of that. What you're saying is don't let that translate to your website. Let your website actually be focused. Let someone who comes to your website understand you know, what the next step actually is is they can do right yeah yeah exactly right yeah i just see yeah so many people get that wrong they and it, it's like a business in general especially when you're starting out you, you're going to pivot you're going to try this and that and it's hard to stay focused and yeah you, that sort of reflects in their website especially if they do it themselves but yeah if you reduce the clutter and just keep the important things then it's going to increase conversions. But there is one thing I wanted to touch on, and that is, you know, we design websites for desktop, but also it needs to be designed from, for, you know, 
uh, mobile devices, right? And there's a totally different sort of approach between the two. And even though the website, sorry, the desktop version will have all these psychological drivers and it'll look beautiful, have images and backgrounds and all that sort of thing, by the time it you know gets sort of converted responsively, so it'll be one website design, it'll be a design that sort of you know, it looks good and large on a desktop, but then as the screen size gets small, things stack and scale and move around. But as you get to the smallest mobile, usually you need to focus more on speed first rather than beautiful imagery. You want to make sure your copywriting is gold, but it's more important to have copywriting, social proof and things like that and clear call to actions as opposed to having all of the visual stuff that you would have on the on the desktop view. And that's because Google will rank your website via your mobile version of your website first. They've announced that this year. So it's more important to get it right on your mobile. And the other thing is you want to think about and this is why Google do it as well, is you want to think about your visitors. And if you have lots of images, it takes a long time to load. So it's going to annoy them as well. So you just want to get to the point and remove as much as possible on the mobile view. So what you're saying is there is desktop version and mobile version. There will be sort of it's filters into mobile version and drops off a few features. Is it right? Yes, spot on. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So it's just one website. It's coded responsively to drop off those features as you get smaller. The tendency now actually go, I think you just don't want to rob the rob Paul to pay Peter. Yeah, this kind of stuff. So <laughs> there is a desk version, which is with bells and whistles and they magnificent. But what I see yeah. happening, people go so heavily now on mobile version because they think it has to be mobile friendly. They actually design entire website being mobile mm. friendly only and miss on other part of desktop, is, which is important. That's probably something I haven't thought about, but I see the tendency. Yeah. And look, you know, responsive is the best solution. You can do a mobile dedicated website, but it's not as effective as having one actual website that's, you know, coded responsively to stack and scale depending on the screen size. Is it hard to do? No, I mean, I don't, I'm not a coder, so I'm just a, a website designer and a brand designer. But yeah, you know, we've got 20 people on our team and we have, I think, six coders at the moment. So yeah, that's what they do. I don't know how it's done. <laughs> But it's not hard to do because you can just give it to them to do. Well, there you go. Exactly. Exactly. It's the who question, not the how question, right? Yeah, you bet. Yeah. Good point, Coach Terrence. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to point out at this stage, I think we've gone over some really good information. Oh, cool. It's been quite dense. And Nadia has two pages mm-hmm. plus another three quarters of a page of notes. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> So I think Nadia is going to be implementing some of this some stage. I talk to clients a lot and quite often I am not a website designer, nor I am a specialist in any form or shape as a marketer. However, what I have to point out a few really key areas to my clients they have to pay attention to because this is what triggers them to think about it. They have to create sales. They have to create customers. Mm. And when I see revenue is not moving, we're just stagnating as a business, I have to at some point of time raise this question, what are you doing? Why no leads are coming? Would you like to see a specialist? And this is where I'm like a GP. I'm sitting there and seeing all symptoms of poor behavior of the business health. And then I have to refer how I see my core speciality and Referring not just oh, go talk to this guy, but if you're for the reasons that what I don't see is happening is you are not growing. Yeah, 
Yeah, look, having all the things that we've discussed are, are super important and that's why we're sharing our knowledge to help more people. So, yeah, just implement what you've learned here and you're going to have a website that converts. Yeah. So just quickly back to the mobile responsive website, you know, we talked about with your website having a focus on one thing. Whoever's looking at your website, for that person looking at your website, a focus on one action. Is that more important when you go to mobile and a mobile responsive site? It kind of depends on the target market because and, and what they're for in the first place. Because And this is changing, but a lot of the time people will sort of discover a website on a mobile. They'll usually click on a Facebook ad or they'll be surfing the net or just, you know, however they find it. But then they might just, you know, normally they might be in a bank queue or they might be, you know, I don't know, on a train or something like that. They're not really in the mode of, you know, purchasing a lot of the time. This is changing though, right? But the trend is that at this point, that more purchases still happen through the desktop. So, yeah, it's important to give them just what they need to know so that, you know, they're engaged and, you know, maybe they take the first step or, you know, or they engage in your content, whatever the case is. But then, you know, realistically, another thing you can do is use remarketing, right? So uh, if people visit your website and they don't give you an email address, and that can usually happen on a mobile device, you can uh, retarget them with ads from Facebook or Google, etc. Meaning that even though they haven't given you your email address, because they visited your website, from that point on, you can you know create ads like visual banners that will follow them around the web to remind them of your product or services. All right, that's all pretty cool. We've got a whole lot of information here we can apply to you know building a great website. What is the number one? biggest mistake that you think that you would see on a website that you immediately look at you say this has to be fixed copywriting copywriting yeah yeah it's the biggest thing like for me as a designer and a lot of designers don't say this but they say that design is more important than the copy but to me the copywriting is more important than the design right because if you put up an amazing landing page that has you know incredible copywriting mm-hmm. and this sort of stems back from the day of the Gary Halbert letter which was sort of like the original gangster the OG of copywriting and really his copywriting was so amazing it had no design and it converted really well and people are copying that sort of style forever right but these days if you inject some amazing design that enhances the copy and gives the copy wings then you're going to get a much better result because you can't do that old style of big red headlines for sales pages like you could you know even five years ago but if you just did a a beautiful design but didn't have amazing copywriting you're not going to get anywhere near as good a result as if you have good copywriting first so you know making the color of your button red instead of blue is not going to be as effective. Yeah, doesn't matter. No. Nah. <laughs> yeah, and people ask that all the time, but it's, it's not important. Unless you have, let's say, you know, 10,000 visitors per day or per week, that's the only time I would split test things like that. It normally doesn't make a huge difference to your overall conversions. Doing things like having a funnel and lead magnets and, you know, have, starting the conversation will get you far better results than changing a button color. So about quality of copywriting, you have mentioned that it's something article stolen thousand words, and we're talking about very current modern content, original and useful. With all that in mind, a lot of business owners have no idea 
how to approach. Do they go and engage a professional copywriter or do yeah. they have to go and attempt it themselves? What would be your first step, your advice? Because each to their own. However, what if you were a startup, let's say address startup first, then we have a more mature businesses which look for next stage to grow and there would be different strategies, but content writing for startups. Yeah, well, to me, like, you can't go wrong with finding a professional. You can try and learn it yourself, but like Terence said before, I would find the who rather than the how, you know, <laughs> because, and look, actually, there is one place you can go called copychief.com, which is a community of copywriters. They literally have thousands of copywriters in there, and you can post a job in there when you're a member and find the right copywriter for your business. So that's one way, but we also have, you know, about half a dozen copywriters at different price points all around the world that we can introduce people to as well. But yeah, I don't know, like if you want to learn copywriting, it's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> it's quite challenging, but if that's your thing, go for it, but I'd rather hire somebody. It really goes back to what you spoke about earlier on in the podcast, which is, you know, understand your audience, connect and engage with your audience. And you're doing that through both, you know, the copywriting is really helping you to do that. Having the good design there, as you say, then enhances what your copywriting is doing for you. Correct. Yeah, because you don't want people to think that you're not as awesome as your business is. And if you just have good copywriting, but the design's really poor, people are going to look at your website and go, "Ooh, that doesn't look very professional. I might just back away. (laughs) I will just have a very interesting question for you. I think it's interesting. Sure. (laughs) I yesterday had a chat with one of my clients. I just popped in in the store and I said, how is it going? Because they invested quite significant amount of money creating a mobile friendly website, which will sell in retail and invested a lot of imagery, went on good platform and everything. And then suddenly just I said, I can see this sadness in his eyes when I think hi, uh, when I ask, how is your website going? How is design going? Because they have to update and everything. He said, well, to our huge surprise, we sell more through Instagram. So okay. our website is more like people using now how to find us. We are, It's not performing as well as we thought. The investment in website, we don't see that it's just paid back. Uh, however, our Instagram is just bringing so much traffic to our store and this is what actually surprised him yeah so instagram and facebook and all those places are pretty much a channel and yes you can you know get people to buy directly through them but i would say that if you're you know if you've got an amazing website that has beautiful copywriting and is designed well and has a marketing funnel then i would say send paid traffic to your lead magnet through Facebook, through, you know, remarketing on Google, that sort of thing. That's what I'd be focusing on. Like, you know, if your website's not well written and it's not it's not designed well, then it's kind of pointless and most businesses don't have the confidence to send traffic. But when once it is set up properly, send paid traffic and, and just work out what the cost is of a new lead and the lifetime value of that customer and that's how much, you know, you should be spending on your ads. So a lot of people just they don't value spending money on ads online and I just see that as a huge mistake. And as much as I agree that Instagram and Facebook are great platforms to find an audience and to help you to get sales, they're also a platform, you know, realistically what happens on those platforms is largely out of our control. So the great thing about having a website is that you own it. 
Yeah. You control control it. And when you bring people back to your website, it's your asset. So you are actually building an asset. And what you can do is have those other platforms working for you to actually bring qualified leads or at least bring, you know, that audience and bring them back to your website. So if you're not working on your own website, if you're only building your business on Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is, you're building your business on rented space. You don't own the asset, if that makes sense. Makes total sense, yeah. And that's why I would say, you know, go with WordPress for your website. Unless you have unless you sell physical products, then you might think of something else depending on the amount. But yeah, WordPress, you own it. You know what I mean? You have full control. And yeah, you want to have your website as the hub and use all those other channels all the social media channels to bring people back to your website because that's essentially where you have your products and services and you can, yeah, like I said, start the conversation and warm them up through there. But yeah, the the end goal is to try and build a community really because then once you've got a community and, and you can even build a community first before you've got anything to sell, but once you're ready to sell something, that community is going to be all over it. Mm, Absolutely. And it sort of gives you longevity as well. It doesn't matter you know, if you've got a, let's say, 20,000 email, a list of 20,000, then, you know, that's going to help future-proof your business no matter what happens to platform changes, etc. Just say that you're not getting the results. That, so, you, you've got a website, you're not mm-hmm. getting the results that you're looking for and you're finding that you're getting plenty of traffic through, but maybe you're just not seeing conversions or whatever the case is. Is there something simple that you can do or a simple process to fix those leaks or at least to find where the leaks are coming from? Ah, such a good question because this is why I say before that your website's never finished and, you know, your business will pivot over time, your audience will change. And so what we do, we do we use a couple of tools, obviously Google Analytics, and that'll give you an overview of your traffic and which pages are coming into, et cetera. And that's what we call the quantitative data. But then we also want to check the user behavior, right? So we use an amazing tool called hotjar.com. And what that does, it does heat maps of your visitors. It does video recordings of each one of your visitors. It takes a bit of time, but I've got it in my schedule, you know, once a week to spend an hour looking at the user behavior. And I learn stuff all the time you know, on, you know, how my website looks on different devices, how far people are scrolling, how they're engaging, interacting, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I've got multiple websites and, yeah, I learn a hell of a lot. And that's what I would recommend. And you can keep tweaking your, and you can tweak price points as well, you know. You might be testing your offer and there's a lot of things you can tweak over time to really get your website humming. But you need to analyze it. And I would say weekly. That is great advice. Cool. (laughs) And that is really good. All right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for sharing all this great information, Greg. Pleasure. It's actually been, it's been a really enjoyable conversation. Nadia's up to three pages of notes. <laughs> so we have been really, you know, there's obviously been some great value in here. How can our listeners find you and Studio One? Yeah, so just go to studioonedesign.com. But if you actually want to see what's you know, where your website's leaking money, essentially, there's a checklist that I've got that has a sort of yes, no 50 questions. And the more yeses you get, the more chance you'll have of, you know, getting your website to convert. So download that checklist at studioondesign.com forward slash checklist. But yeah, if you just want to reach out to me, uh, reach out through our contact page, or there's many forms on the site. And even, you know, the phone numbers on our website as well. So yeah, give us a call if you've got any questions. 
Thank you very much. That's awesome. So, yeah, we'll put some of those details in the show notes as well. And thanks a lot for your time. We'd love to have you on again to maybe talk about some different areas of web design or branding, all those types of things. But thanks for your time today. I'm even thinking of doing a case study when we will just throw Greg into the, some website and he has to just tell us what's going on with this website. <laughs> Happy to do that, yeah. We will get some consent and just play with it, whether it can happen or not, and somebody might get huge benefit from it. That sounds that like fun. Sound yep. fun. Let's just draw a lottery. Whoever will win it will get their website vetted. <laughs> That's cool. Well, thanks, guys. Nadia yeah. and Terence, yeah, it's been a pleasure. And, yeah, you really, you know, challenge me, Nadia. I like that. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome she, anytime. She challenges me too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> thanks, Greg. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.